Hey gearheads and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host Corey and this week we have a great conversation and interview with the one, the only, the gentleman racer, Mike Satterfield and just very much looking forward to picking his brain about many different projects he's involved in. He does even more than I thought he did. We've been friends on social for a while. We've met at various different events, but my goodness, he is involved in a lot of different things, and I'm very excited to see the uh, culmination of a bunch of different projects he is working on. But without wanting to spoil anything for the interview with Mike, uh, I will just go ahead and close my mouth and insert our conversation right here. All right, gearheads, this week we have a special guest, the gentleman racer himself. Michael, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to have you. So uh, we are well on our way of season three here at GT Garage Talk and looking forward to interviewing people from around the automotive industry with different backgrounds, different experiences, and you have a, a unique one yourself between uh, a Grand Prix, uh, work you're doing on restoring a, a, an old building. There's a lot of stuff going on in your world right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot going on. We've got uh, some car projects we're building. We've got the building that we're restoring. Um, we just launched a coloring book. We've got a print magazine we do. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. So it's keep, keeping me busy for sure, but uh, it's all fun stuff. Yep. So uh, before we dive too much into maybe some more recent events, I know you and I were both at the Chicago Auto Show. Why don't you kind of catch our listeners up on to what, what specifically it is that you do, how they can find you, and what angle you approach the automotive industry? So my whole background goes kind of deep into the auto auto world. My, my father's worked in the automotive aftermarket, um, so I kind of grew up around SEMA show cars and classic cars and things like that coming in and out of the garage. And I bought my first car when I was 14, uh, just kind of really, you know, I found an old car stuck behind a, a barn uh, in Chino, California, where I grew up. And it was, you know, $150, you know, nice. <laughs> you know, hauled it home and my buddies and I got it running and kind of messed with it. So that kind of started it off. And from there, I just always enjoyed working in the auto industry. I started, um, you know, in the classic car restoration side, working for, uh, California Mustang, and then went to work for a couple other companies and ended up at a, another place called California Pony Cars for a while. Um, so kind of a lot of I'm stuff in the Mustang trend. world. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Mustang <laughs> stuff. Uh, and uh, In that meantime, though, I also worked for a big Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership uh, that had a bunch of other stuff they added later on the road, Kia, and kind of came aboard in the whole, in, uh, I guess, in, the foundation of the internet sales Um I was the youngest person on the sales staff, so I was by default the new internet sales manager. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a fun time to kind of be in the car business. I was selling Ford GTs and you know the new Mustang when it had just come out, the new first retro bodied Mustang had come out. So it was a fun time to be in the car world. Um, but around 2007, I completely uh, walked away and started my own thing. Um, we have a, a clothing company that we launched for our family business, and then we had. You know, the gentleman racer, which I'd already started, but it was really a, um, 
kind of more like the angelfire.net days of the internet. So it was like <laughs> taking pictures at car shows and then with a 35 millimeter camera right. for those, those, uh, those youngsters out there who don't remember film and having to go to Walmart, get your, your camera, <laughs> your film developed and you get a disc if you pay like $2 more. So you have to scan all the pictures in. So that was kind of the start of auto media was back in the day, just taking pictures at car shows, Pomona auto swap meet and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of grown into its own into an entity now. We've got the the print magazine and the website, which we reformatted kind of in I guess it'd been the mid two thousands, like two thousand like the two thousand twelve era. We kind of really went a whole different direction and, and really kind of started telling more lifestyle stories around cars and history and other things that I felt that I was interested in. So it kind of grown to its own own thing from there. So I've followed you and the gentleman racer since we've become acquainted through Texas Auto Riders, and it is very much a unique approach. And it is those two things in the title, gentleman and racer. So you've covered everything from James Bond's clothes to his cars, and like his watches are very iconic and things like that. So you take a holistic approach to what it means to be in. Uh, a certain scene. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I kind of always thought those things went together very well. I mean, guys who like cars, they also probably like skeet shooting and James Bond and cigars and whiskey and whatever else. So I always kind of had that approach. If I was into it, if it was something I was interested in, uh, there's got to be other people who would be interested in it right. too. So that was kind of the uh, the editorial direction I always gave myself was that. I, I mean, I'm writing a weird piece right now on a long deep dive into history from about a hundred years ago. So, you know, maybe some people will read it, maybe not, but I enjoy it. So right. always like to kind of tell different stories. Hey, if you're passionate in it and you let that passion show, other people will pick up on it. And that's kind of how GT Garage Talk really got off the ground was my passion for cars and wanting to share that. So I, I've kind of, you know, uh, messed with you online and talk. It, it's even more kind of ironic that uh, it was through social media that you and I had this conversation. But the a whole print media genre has gone through its ebbs and flows. And mm -hmm. I asked you once, I said, when do you think it will be cool or trendy or kind of hipster or... Uh, I, I can't even remember the, the phrasing I used, but when do you think print will come back in style? And I believe your answer was it already has. And it, it, it really is more kind of, I don't want to say your niche where you are in your world, but I know I remember collecting, I had a, at least a decade's worth of car and driver and motor trend oh, that yeah. it pained me when I got rid of them, but I hardly ever pulled any of them out. And I was, referencing everything online so i kind of got into that online only kind of space but there's just something special about seeing your work in print right well i mean it's it's a it's a different medium it lets you tell stories in different ways it limits you in ways um it's kind of like film photography i'm really fortunate that i grew up shooting film i think because in my head still burned in my memory is like, I only have like 24 frames, right. <laughs> you know, uh, people who grew up shooting digital, like they just will sit there and fill a card, swap it out, fill a card and shoot until they get a good picture. Right. Um, so I don't know, uh, those, those different types of meetings, I think they make you slow down, they make you focus, they make you be a little more intentional. Uh, and, and I like that. And I think a lot of readers like that. Um, I also like, they like the idea of having something physical, 
um, it's kind of a, a, just a, a, a different different way of doing things because, I mean, there's so many websites now. There's so right. many, you know, digital, you know, video producers and everyone who's in this space that, you know, trying to differentiate yourself and trying to tell stories in a different way, um, it really does stand out. And it'll never be the volume, like the, the magazine will never be the volume that the, the website gets, obviously, because everyone can read the website on their phone, on their tablet, on their computer, you know, everywhere. Uh, but people do really appreciate it. Um, brands still love to see themselves in print. Right. Um, there is there is some vanity to being in print, even if it's a small run. Uh, people really love to see that actual physical magazine and, and, and have it in their hands. So it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the kind of art of putting together the page design and all that stuff that goes into it. Um, it's a lot of work, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it is a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I think print has come back in a way where it's a... It's a special thing. It's something that, you know, that's why we do a quarterly. We're not trying to do a monthly right. magazine. I mean, I grew up in the era of like the, the, the two inch thick sport compact cars <laughs> yes. and, you know, all those great, you know, six page ads from Nopi and all those things. And print was such a huge part of my kind of indoctrination into the automotive right. world that I really didn't want to see it go away. So uh, it's kind of, it's like, it's kind of a passion project, but it's fun and, and, and people seem to enjoy it. So yeah, it's fun to put together. I like that. And I like hearing that perspective because it, it was something special. Even I renewed, uh, I believe it was car and driver about a year ago for a year, just, you know, to see what it was like getting print magazines in the mail again. And it made mail day special, like, you know, uh, blues clues, mail time, you know, you wanted to get, get out there and check the mailbox and see if something special had come. And, you know, the smell of the pages and, uh, sometimes, you know, the ink smearing and stuff like that, there, there's just something a little bit nostalgia to it and the physical aspect of actually being able to hold it in your hands. Yeah. Well, and it's also kind of a nice break from the screens. I mean, you know, I, you know I, I like to take magazines when I go on, on flights because, you know, I look at screens all day long for work and on my phone all the time as everyone else is. And it's kind of nice to have that kind of like my phone's in airplane mode. I'm just going to read something and not have myself buried in the screen. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a different, different thing. And you know, like a lot of the times when we we're laying out the, the original magazine we did, uh, we started six years ago was an annual. And all I would do is take whatever stories had ranked on the website for that year. And we called it a yearbook. And so all the top stories from that year would go into a magazine. So we do like the top 25 stories and put nice. them in uh, a print format. Uh, but when we decided to do the, the quarterly, actually really wanted to make it something you could take on a plane something that was really portable so we did a, what's called an executive size it's only 10 inches by 7 inches uh, so it's kind of like almost a little, a little bit smaller than a comic book really but right. it's it's real nice paper and it's just a nice thing you can throw in your bag it fits in your bag because some of these other like specialty magazines have gone oversized now yeah. you get like Nobleman or some of these other ones and they're they're you know 18 by 20 and you're like holy cow it's like a coffee table book it reminds me of a christmas story when he's you know hinting for his mom to buy him the red rider bb gun and he's sticking this page in this book that's as big as he is and it's the magazines <laughs> of the era it's it's yeah. crazy so yeah i kind of relate it to maybe the resurgence of vinyl records uh, mm -hmm. it, it's just like i said earlier maybe a little bit of that hipster but just kind of that nostalgia the the enjoyment factor of what it is and the medium itself yeah i think it's also like there's a process to it too that 
you kind of have to do like it's not instant you know say that you're not just hitting play on your phone you're going and putting a record down selecting right. it you're looking at the artwork that's on the packaging you're doing all those things that you know you kind of miss out on and i think a lot of people are kind of returning to that uh, that little little simple joys of having tactile interactions with real things yeah and like you said it, it, it makes more art out of it instead of you know i gotta turn out six stories this week bing bang boom done and they're uploaded and ready to go and it, it is kind of a shame how uh fascinated we've come become with instant gratification and you know got to get it out got to get it out now so uh, i appreciate that so uh, i did want to pick your brain just a little bit about being so heavily into the print medium and just kind of where that's going where it's been so uh dove into it a little i, I think we'll compare notes so to speak because i know you and i had a, a little bit different mindsets going into the Chicago Auto Show. You've obviously been doing this a little bit longer than I have. Uh, you've, <laughs> as you and I joked before we got on the call, uh, in the before times, you had been to Chicago Auto Show and, and others. My first Chicago Auto Show experience was the weird summer show that they did okay. uh, in a completely different location, obviously a different time of year for them. It was a good show. It was very different for them. But I have no recollection of the before times. And then I've also gone to L.A., which was kind of unofficially the first big major show in the after times. And to see how many press releases and uh, media events they had going on there. And then to come back to, you know, the first real Chicago auto show in, in current era, I guess. I don't know. It, it felt very different to me. I don't want to say underwhelming. It was just different. What What was your perspective coming from the before times? Well, yeah, I mean, compared to like a, a traditional Chicago auto show, which was in multiple halls, usually they had huge indoor driving places where you're literally driving cars on road tests inside buildings. Right. Um, it was, it was, it was a very different show. And I think the other thing that kind of, kind of stifled that feeling of specialness or there was really no big unveils there. It was all like, here's a different color of the Bronco right. with a different interior, or here's, here's a special edition Subaru that we put a badge on. There was nothing. I mean, you had the Allen man Ford GT, right. uh, which was super cool. I mean, and they had the AM, AM uh, GT one next to it, which is mm -hmm. super cool. But I mean, uh, again, that was just kind of, you know, yeah, it's, it's not like it's a new Ford GT. It's just a paint job package. Just, right. There was no, there was nothing groundbreaking, nothing, uh, super unique unveiled. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the stories that I look for are always different than what most auto writers are looking for. They're, they're looking for their reviews. They're looking for news. They're looking for, you know, powertrain stuff. And that's not the type of space that I right. compete in just because I mean, you, yeah, I'm never going to, I realized a long time ago, I was never going to win the uh, Google search for like 2022 <laughs> Honda civic review. Right. <laughs> you know? right. So, so we you know, I, I'm more focused on, you know, how these vehicles work in your lifestyle. What's, what's unique about them. What's, what's kind of a fun heritage story that you can tell uh, and stuff like that. And there just was, just wasn't a whole lot of, uh, of you, wow factor. This you really year. touched I mean, on it there with the four GT. That was really about it. Right. Yeah. And, and it, did you go to the SEMA show this last year? I did not make it to SEMA. I, I look to rectify that this year because yeah, a lot yeah, you definitely got to go. But like so a lot of the vehicles that were on display at Chicago were, 
just the ones that were unveiled at the SEMA show right. in November. So yeah, Tacozilla uh, so, was there. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of them were just kind of repeats. So it's it, it wasn't anything like a usual Chicago Auto Show, and hopefully they'll get back to it. But honestly, the, I you know, I go to a lot of trade shows uh, for the magazine and for other publications and things I, I I cover, and you know I go to trade shows that are about homes and trade shows about you know the you know shooting sports industries and all kinds of different types of trade shows and. Honestly, all the trade shows have been. I, <laughs> I think they kind of ended up getting double hit by the COVID thing right. with the fact that they realized they didn't need to spend, like the vendors didn't need to spend right. that much money to be at the shows. So all the shows have shrunk and they all kind of figured out we could put that money in digital advertising or right. hosting events or sending out salespeople or other, other avenues. Um, so I think it's going to be a long time before we ever see any of the big major trade shows come back as strong as they were, if, if they ever really do. Yeah. So last year, well, yeah, I guess it would be last summer after the summer show, I interviewed Jen Moran with uh, Chicago auto shows. She's in PR and we talked about, you know, what it was like uh, coming to the decision to do last year's show during the summer after postponing it and what that all looked like and then to turn around and attempt to do you know a regularly scheduled show this february so not only was it tight on their team but like you said reaching out to the brands and trying to get brand interaction because i don't know if you took note mercedes wasn't there mm-hmm. honda and acura weren't there I'm trying to think of who else, like major players weren't. Well, yeah, and even those that were there were severely scaled down right. um, from where they were years before. I mean, Subaru always puts on one of the biggest displays there with their, you know, move, moving stage and puppies right. and all kinds of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, the actual footprint of the show was so much smaller um, than usual. I think Ford had one of the biggest displays mm-hmm. there, obviously, but. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a different show. And I think we're going to see a long time. The other, the other issue I think that dealers or, um, brands, as far as the manufacturer dealing with is that even if they do get all this hype and people excited about their dealers don't have vehicles to deliver to anybody. So it's kind of like, okay, we're going to go and build all this hype and get people at the shows, get them to go check it out. And then when they go to a dealership, either the dealer's asking 20 grand over for a Bronco Or or, Two months like waiting six month, six months away, you know, <laughs> to, before it gets made. I mean, uh, so yeah, it's it's a weird time in the in the new car market. Even the used car market is insane right now. So, I don't exactly know when all of that will will shift. Um, I mean, they gotta get stuff on lots. I mean, our dealerships here in College Station are almost all completely empty. I mean, used cars only, a few new cars. And when you call to ask about one, they're like, "Well, we've got three on order, and we can put your name on the list." And, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's a hard it's a hard um, it's a hard pill to swallow if you're a manufacturer because you got to go invest all that money to drive people to your dealerships and then your dealers can't execute on the sale when people are in the you know that buying mode. So yeah, it's, going it's, back it's, to it's that hard... instant gratification. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, lots are empty. You can take this one and it'll cost you. But yeah, yeah, man, it's a weird time. COVID is just changed everything about what we do which was a really interesting way for me to get involved in the industry to begin with i mean i've told uh several people that in some ways i felt like it gave me a level playing field with some of the bigger channels because we were getting all the same information at the same time because it was all digital Mm -hmm. and you know we had all the same pictures all the same b-roll all the same everything 
And, you know, now that things are starting to open back up and there are in-person shows, it's like, all right, I need to get my name on this list. How do I get there? And it's been interesting just trying to grow this business and where I'm at uh, amid all of this. And like you said, you know, the shows are slowly coming back to what they were, but they're not quite there. And, you know, you get brands investing in this show and not that show or whatever the case may be. It's well, yeah. And as an independent media person too, it's, it's so hard to pick and choose even what events you're going to try to get to and spend the time. And, you know, is it worth, you know, the three days when you figure out factor in the two days of travel and all that stuff, Uh, you know, and it, it is hard. I mean, the brands have done such a good job, I think, through the pandemic of really focusing on providing really good photos and video assets and all that stuff through their press releases. Right. Um, you know, it's like the Chicago Auto Show. They literally had all the images up the day of the show. Right. All the press releases were up. Like, you didn't really physically need to be there to have pretty much all the same information and photos and access. So. You know, unless you really wanted that that TikTok video of them pulling the cover off a of Bronco or something, it was kind of the only thing that was uh, a little unique for people. So speaking of TikTok, are you on TikTok? Uh, reluctantly, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's such a it's such a strange platform. Yes. Uh, again, like for for me, because I'm not a dancer, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't do any lip syncing or anything like that. Um, I've had some videos do really well on there. Um, the the off roading the Rolls Royce video yes. uh, did did really really well. Um, well, anytime you take yeah. something four hundred plus thousand dollars off road, it's like yeah, wait. power power sliding it through the mud. Yeah, got some views, but um, yeah, it's 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 a weird platform. A video is a platform that I, I I use, but I don't do a lot of it. Like it's always supplemental uh, right. for me. So. Um, been trying to create more content for, for video, for reels, all that stuff. But, um, it's, it's always hit or miss. And it, it's, you know, video, as you know, is so time consuming and, uh, the amount of, amount of editing and you know, sound, um, you know, color grade, all the things to do to actually make a really good video, uh, is real time consuming. And when you're doing all the writing and everything else, it's, it's a lot. Why do you think I started off with a podcast? <laughs> like, <laughs> I saw this as the easiest entry into the door because you didn't have to worry about color. You didn't have to worry about video. Uh, you just had to get something that sounded right. And even that, like uh, I'm running a $600 board and $300 microphones, and then you got the cables and the stands and, you know, my headphones are 11 bucks, but it all adds up. And then when you talk about, you know, going to events and doing video, you've got to have good mics and you've got to like, that's what plagued me when I went to LA. I couldn't, I I at least left three videos on the cutting room floor because the mics were just cutting in and out on me. And I came back from LA and I said, this isn't working. And I bought, you know, some expensive microphones that I knew would work for the next show. And uh, sure enough, for some weird reason, uh, my new mics decided to act up on me right before Chicago and I got them home and I fixed them, but I'm just like, you've, you've got to be kidding me. I'm yeah, two shows in now. Of it's really difficult and it, it adds up really quick. Yeah. I mean, video is a lot of fun. Uh, I like to do usually bigger video projects. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing, we're doing a series uh, that we're going to do documenting our, um, our grand wagon year that we're restoring, okay. uh, that we're building for SEMA show. So that, that, that we're going to be doing video series on that. Uh, I did the video series with Shell last summer where we did three big road, uh, epic road trips in the U.S., which was a lot of fun. Um, but 
for me, like the, 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 the daily vlogging, like I had a YouTube channel years ago that is no longer on in existence. That was all daily vlog stuff and all the daily car stuff I was doing and stuff with the clothing company and all that yeah. stuff. And there was a whole lot going on, but I it literally, um, it was, it was fairly successful too, but it, it burned me out cause it was just so much everyday filming, editing, right. putting up a video about, you know, and trying to make mundane stuff exciting for the vlog. <laughs> it just got to the point that I was like, this isn't really what I want to do. Uh, you know, having, uh, I've got a great production crew that I work with when I do my videos yeah. that are, you know, so having a, a, a dedicated film guy, I mean, having a sound guy on some, some stuff, having a, a FAA drone pilot who knows how to do all the drone stuff really well. I mean, I've got a drone, I've got my certification, but this guy, this is all he does. Right. So it, it makes a huge difference. And, when you go out and you shoot something and you can get it done in a couple of hours because you have a team that knows what they're doing, it makes all the difference. And that difference, though, is expensive. So that's right. why we don't do a ton of video. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. So uh, that that was one of the biggest hindrances for me and my channel for the longest time was I could shoot all day long. That was the fun part. You know, it, it meant having a fun vehicle for a day, a week, or whatever the case may be. But then I had to get the content out and, you know, I've perfected my on camera, you know, all right, I've got to talk about this, 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 and this, like repetition makes you better. But, uh, I think, you know, worst case scenario, I can get a decent review out of a two hour window of my life. Uh, would I like more? Yes. Uh, I do work with the production company as well. Uh, they, he'll do the editing for me and allow me to focus on actually growing the business, which I've always been fascinated in. Yeah. I mean, having the right people in place to, you know, free you up to do stuff, especially with the changing technology and just having the, the learning curve of like, oh, well they've updated this and now how I used to edit doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was always, always fun. So yeah. And I mean, the industry is so, so, uh, so ever changing and you know you never know what platforms will be next i mean you look at the, the kind of the life cycle of like instagram and how mm -hmm. i mean i built a huge instagram following and now it's kind of like no one's there anymore you know i mean the, the engagement's okay but it's not like it used to be and and you look at just how these things are cyclical and just how you have to keep constantly pivoting right. uh it's 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 a, it's a learning curve all the time but um you know it's it's fun. I mean, we get to do some of the best stuff in the world as far as, uh, as jobs, you know, getting to drive great cars and tell stories and, and all that. So, you know, it's got, it's got its ups and downs, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Your road trip series last year made me jealous. Uh, my wife is big into travel. Like she is in travel marketing or destination marketing for our city. And so I was showing her your stuff. I'm like, if we can marry uh, by our powers combined, like let's make this work. And, you know, just, get out and explore as it is i've been uh trying to work on my own road trip series and uh, at this stage of my channel i believe uh it's it's just not uh what brands want to invest in at this moment plus again the troubles of covid and vehicle yeah. shortages and all that stuff so just trying to make something work and realizing again how much work it is to get that in product out there a lot of moving well, parts and that's the thing too, is like, is being independent, you know, you, you don't have the infrastructure that someone who works for, you know, one of the big, you know, publications has. So it's, it's, it's your, you're the, you know, PR department, you're the <laughs> accounts payable department, you're, you're doing, you're doing it all. So I, I definitely feel it. It's, it's hard. And, and sometimes getting, 
the agency in New York to buy the vision that right. is they and they've they've never been to Texas. They don't know what you're talking about when you're talking about like barbecue and backwoods and fun and off road. They're like, well, hey. yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, they've never left Manhattan, so it, it can be a little difficult to, uh, to to sell that vision to some of the bigger brands. But you know, it's just one of those things that it's it's building out and telling the stories you want to tell. I mean, I'm very fortunate that because of the clothing business that we built, that I, I have a lot of flexibility in able to do some of the things that I want to do um, because, you know, we, we do, I mean, we do the official clothing for golf oil. We do nice. uh, a bunch of other, uh, other, you know, sub brands. And we have two of our own in-house brands that are, 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 are pretty popular and, and do well, mostly casual stuff. It's, it's fun, but you know, having the ability to go, I don't want to tell that story or, Right. Uh, this is something I really want to go explore because I've done some really weird stories, you know, where I decided one time to take a 250cc motorcycle and ride across the country, you know, uh, to see if it would make it. I reached out to this company that's making these little motorcycles and said, hey, have you ever done an endurance test? And they're like, <laughs> no. It's like, hey, would you want me to ride from Cleveland to Los Angeles? <laughs> so, <sighs> you know, so, you know, having that flexibility and, and telling those stories. But that's been one of the best stories on the site. It's gotten right. so much, so much, you know. Um, play because you know and I couldn't get anybody to sponsor other than the company that loaned me the motorcycle right. I mean nobody was interested in it and not only did it do super well on social it did you know it's it was in three different print magazines it's been on multiple been interviewed about on a bunch of ma- motorcycle magazines and stuff it had so much extra play outside of what I did on my site so sometimes it's just like doing it and you know yeah. people eventually once they figure it out Oh yeah, that that was a cool thing. We should be involved in the next thing you do. So, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm I'm seeing it now. Yeah. yeah. So you know, speaking of wearing many hats and doing many things, you wear many hats and you do many things. You've talked about <laughs> gentleman racer. You've talked about clothing. Uh, we've barely even touched on the building restoration you are doing and what that's for. So, uh, share a little bit of that. So the building. Um, is what originally brought me to Texas. Uh, that cross-country motorcycle trip, I had kind of mapped my route out to visit areas I was considering moving to. Okay. Uh, I had just gotten back from Japan. I was working in Japan doing a project for Sony uh, that was a lot of fun, just some photography stuff. It was one of those one of those really ridiculous opportunities that popped up, and I was just like, yeah, I'll go to Japan for a couple months and shoot photos. That sounds good. <laughs> um, timing worked out good. So I came back to California, and I was kind of – kind of looking all my stuff was in storage. I was like, I just don't think I want to buy an $800,000 house in Boyle Heights. It just didn't really seem like a, a good call at the time. Um, so I ended up kind of settling on a few places. I like, you know, Franklin, Tennessee, Woodstock, Georgia, and Charlotte, North Carolina, and then kind of this East central Texas region. Um, and I talked to this motorcycle company, got them on board and went on this big epic road trip. Well, one of the one of the areas I kind of settled in I really liked was that kind of central Texas, uh, south central east Texas area. I was kind of at a big triangle from like College Station to Waco to you know like Temple, kind of a big triangle shape. And I basically just ran a a like like safe search on LoopNet. Yeah. So I always wanted like an old downtown building. I always thought that'd be fun. And um, the building popped up on my LoopNet search in Grosbeck, Texas. And I was like, okay. I looked at the price. It's like, well, it's cheaper than a Hyundai, so <laughs> I, I guess I'll just buy it. And I literally 
got the paperwork done. It took me a while to find a real estate agent who'd even do the deal because it was like a cash deal for like not a whole lot of money. So they weren't even really excited right. about it. I finally found someone who would do it and uh, bought this building sight unseen you know, just from the pictures. Um, and I, I talked to my contacts at, at GM. I said, hey, I'm going to do some uh, – I got to move to Texas. Can I borrow a truck? <laughs> and they're like, well, I guess so. I said, I'm going to do – I'll do a, I'll do a bunch of stories on towing. So I had all these stories on towing as I was calling like my Austin Healy and stuff nice. back back from, from California. So it worked out really good. So I get out to Texas. The building's got a hole in the roof. Um, it's been abandoned for probably 25-plus years. Um, there's a buzzard living inside of it. Uh, and literally there's so much junk because what happened when the roof fell in, they just left. Right. Like there was typewriters still on desks. I mean, right. it was like just – there was food in the refrigerator still. I mean, it was crazy. Um, so they just left. Uh, I, I ended up basically getting two 40-yard roll-offs and filling it with just the junk that was inside. Oh, my gosh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a big project. We've got a new roof on it. We're actually doing the final build out right now. Um, it's been almost four years of solid, you know, uh, the building, I mean, was the first part of the building was built in 1870s. So mm-hmm. it's, it's super old. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's got the old tin ceilings and all that. It's going to be our kind of general office space, um, design studio space for the clothing company and, um, just a big event space in the front where we can host stuff and hold mm-hmm. events and, and just kind of have people over because uh, it's it's a it's a fun fun little town. Um, it's where I hosted the Gross Background Prix in 2020. Um, it's pretty centrally located, so it worked out really well for getting up to Dallas or Houston right. or Austin. It's about it's kind of like two hours from everywhere. Right. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the great Texas themed cartoon of my adolescence, but King of the Hill was set in fictional Arlen, Texas, and that was kind of their uh, same mo was. We're, we're about two hours from everything. And like I said, it was a fictional town, but uh, my entire life watching that show, I'm like, all right. So they go to Dallas a lot. So they're kind of in the East Texas area, but, you know, they do go to Houston. I'm like trying to figure. Yeah. So they also make it to Mexico rather quickly. Yeah, too. So. I, <laughs> <laughs> the, the magic of uh, cartoons and yeah, uh, I, I hear rumors that that show is coming back, and I hope it's true because um, so much truth to that show that uh, oh, absolutely. Maybe I care not to admit, but yeah, <laughs> I related quite well. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great show. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've got a lot of family roots in Texas, so I grew up watching that too, and it yeah. was just like it was always so funny because I used to spend a lot of time in West Texas and. I did the same thing. I was trying to always figure out where Arlen was. But uh, yeah, Grosbeck has been a really cool little town. Um, we're really excited to see kind of what's next there as we grow stuff out. My parents actually ended up moving to Grosbeck from California uh, just over a year ago. So they're they're in town now. My sister moved here. I kind of like planned the flag <laughs> and then everybody else kind of came. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And it, it's just good being close to family. I've never been more than – half hours drive from my family and I don't know especially now with a kid how I could do they growing up I was two hours away from my closest grandparents I don't know how my parents did it because we rely heavily on uh there's a day of the week that Tucker goes to my parents and there's a day of the week that he goes to my in-laws and you know my wife and I both work from home so it, it makes life 
function a whole lot better. Yeah. So there's a lot of good that comes from having family close. Oh yeah. No, it's great. I mean, especially since we've always had family businesses, you know, my, my mom still works for the clothing company. She kind of does all the office side of things. My dad works for our company. So it's really great having everyone under one roof. Right. Right. And it sounds like it's going to be an epic roof when you get it finished. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, we're, we've got a lot of, uh, of stuff from, we used to have a showroom in Denver for the clothing company. So we've got all these like showroom props and stuff. So it's, it's going to be a funky space. So it'll, it'll be really fun. I can't wait to kind of unveil it to everybody because we've got a whole bunch of stuff that's just waiting for the space to get finished so we can decorate. And it's going to be a really fun space. Yeah. Watching your progress has made me rethink and kind of redream my future. Like, Obviously, I want a garage somewhere that I can have project vehicles that I could have as a home base and, you know, maybe have more in-studio guests besides coming to the spare bedroom in my house. But uh, I originally was looking at, and I think it's still for sale, I'm, I'm kind of curious, there's an old discount tire here with like six or eight bays and a small little showroom, and I'm like, oh, that'd be a great home base. But then seeing your project and renovating the old building downtown like you have there there are several around here that i've kept my eye on i'm like if i just fell into a pile of cash uh i i would i i see the potential of that building but there's no other way right now there's there's so many little towns with uh downtown buildings that are empty and i mean it's a uh it's a shame because like there's like a lot of that are about to fall over yeah Uh, (laughs) But yeah, ours, ours, uh, ours, thankfully, other than the roof in the back, is real solid. So definitely love having a home base like that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, we're still looking for another property to be like a garage space for builds. Um, right now we have a, a, a second, my parents' property has a second garage on it, so that's kind of it. But uh, we want a place that we can actually film and, and do right. some of that stuff for, for the bigger bigger projects because – We've got the Austin Healy project. We've got the the, the Grand Wagoneer project, and then uh, I just picked up uh, for a series. I bought a, a car at an auction, so I'm doing a whole. Uh, what's it like to actually go try to buy a car at an auction? You know, how bad is it when you get them? You know, what's the process for finding titles on these things that are you know either you know abandoned or police seized or whatever it is? And that wasn't the Grand Wagoneer, was it? No, no, okay. the Grand Wagoneer. No, the Grand Wagoneer uh, I bought from a guy up in way north of dallas um i was actually in nashville when i found it and i, I was like it, it was such an incredible deal i thought it was a misprint um so i messaged the guys like hey you know I, I want this i don't even care he's like well you sure you want to look i said I, I just want it so i called my dad who was in texas like get a hold of this guy i don't care if you have to give him a deposit i don't care what you have to do just make sure we can secure this thing um and uh he you know the guy was like yeah well, i'll hold it for you and he actually did which is shocking <laughs> you know, because I'm sure he was getting other calls, but we went up and picked it up and hauled it home uh, when I got back from Nashville, and it's it's a super solid 1987, um, you know, Grand Wagoneer with the wood paneling, the whole nine yards. We've got to repaint it, obviously, and do all the interior, but uh, we're building it out as a project, um, which we'll unveil later. But we've got all these really great drawings and stuff already done of it. But it's a, a with a really cool heritage brand that we're working with. They're celebrating, I think, their 70th anniversary next year. So okay. we're going to get it done this year, kind of unveil it at the SEMA show, and then they're probably going to use it for a bunch of like marketing and nice. collateral stuff next year. 
Um, but yeah, like the project cars are fun. I've built a lot of project cars over the years for the SEMA show and it's, it's always, it's always a blast to do. It's a ton of work and, you know, but a lot, a lot of payoff, headache, but, but yeah, it's super fun to see this stuff come, come to fruition. I mean, I've kind of been known for the cars I've done for the SEMA show. We build a lot of what we call like alternative history cars. Okay. So cars that didn't really exist, but could have existed. So, uh, an example, we did a, a 1975, F two fifty, King Ranch, that you know they never offered a King right. Ranch back then, but we built it out to where it looked like a King Ranch that would have been offered back in the seventies. So right. it, it's it was cool. We did a um, sixty seven Ford Fairlane that we built into for golf racing when we did our partnership with golf for the clothing. Uh, we did a nineteen sixty seven golf racing heritage looking um, theme was like Holman Moody NASCAR team goes to European touring car. So had a lot of NASCAR stuff, but also had like a Le Mans gas cap and some extra scoops and stuff like that, like a European touring car. So uh, stuff like that's just fun. It's just fun, kind of fun to see it go from paper and sketch to reality and driving it down the road. So those are always fun projects. Yeah, sounds like it. And like I said, that is an ultimate goal of GT Garage Talk is to get to that place where, yeah, reviewing cars is fun. Uh, looking at the newest, latest, and greatest is fun. But yeah, making something that didn't exist before and taking it from you know a sketch, a drawing, an idea, and you know taking it full circle to the tangible reality of print magazine and and what that looks like. So being able to actually have a dream and see it out in front of you and then share it with the world at SEMA. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to have to go this year. <laughs> yeah, SEMA is definitely worth going to. All right, uh, Michael. So I, I'm sure we could talk a whole lot more. There's a lot we haven't touched on that you've had your hands in and done over the years, but we can always do a follow-up episode. What I want to pivot to now is uh, a way we like to close out all of our interviews here at GT Garage Talk. It's called Random Misfire. I've got a list okay. of like 20 different questions. I will pick the eight that I think kind of best suit you and what I've learned from you. Uh, being uh, friends on social media and throughout this interview and just kind of get into your psyche just a little bit more. And then if you've got time, I've got two more questions that I put behind the paywall for my Patreon supporters. Sounds good. All right. So... I, I, I'm famous or infamous for asking this question. I don't know which it is, but I, I can't go a single interview without asking, do you name your vehicles? No, I don't think I've ever named one. Um, I wrote a story about people who named their vehicles once. Oh, but, really? Yeah, never, never have named. We're an odd lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me, I, I just never, never got that, like, you know, need to call it anything um it was always just you know the fastback or the convertible or whatever it was so the healy whatever (laughs) whatever it was i I blame mine it started a little bit as a joke because of uh, the tv show friends so joey had named his recliner rosita and that name just kind of stuck for my first car which was a 91 maroon inside and outside cadillac eldorado and nice. she was Rosita, and then just it trickled down from there. So <laughs> kind of started as a joke, but now I can't not. So there you have it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I figure I know this one. Do you hand wash your vehicles? 
Uh, almost always, yeah. Yes. Uh, I've got a whole garage full of uh, detailing stuff, and actually, it's just one of those cathartic things to go out and yes. actually wash a car and kind of again, it's kind of, I think it's one of those tactile. You're blocking stuff out, and you're not you're not in front of a screen. So yeah, I definitely enjoy a, a good uh, detail. Yeah, my mom had it good for the longest. Uh, in like 2000, she got a 98. Uh, bright red Grand Prix GTP, which we thought was the coolest car. It was supercharged before that was really widely done. And between my older brother and I, I think any chance the sun was out, we were washing it for. Uh, <laughs> life has come quite a long way since then. I can't tell you the last time I hand washed a car and I need to get back <laughs> to it. Uh, oh, this will be a good one. Given your road trip experience, do you prefer two wheels or four? Uh, for the most part, four. Um, two wheels is fun. Uh, I did you get a little burnt out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing too is like it's so crazy on the roads now. Uh, I mean, I think COVID kind of broke a lot of people, and they are just on the road going going nuts. Uh, but I also grew up in Southern California, which you had a motorcycle for like fun stuff, right. but you didn't ever drive. Like you didn't go to Los Angeles on your bike because the traffic and right. just how dangerous it was. So yeah, I mean, lo I love motorcycles. I've done tail of the dragon. I've done a bunch of big road trips on motorcycles, a lot of fun, but it's more of like a you know, hobby here there. and there type of thing. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a big uh, motorcycle commuter type guy. Were you a, uh, what's the term lane lane splitter? It in California, we could do that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I was out there for the LA Auto Show in November and uh, was riding with a friend who lives out there. And I'm just like flabbergasted at these bikes whizzing past us. I'm like, nope, couldn't do it. Could not. Yeah. No, it, it takes it takes, um, takes some getting used to, for sure. Yeah. On, on both ends. Uh, just, I, I would freak out if I saw somebody coming up on me like that, like, that inner monologue of don't move the wheel, don't move the wheel, just keep going. <laughs> uh, okay, so you prefer four wheels over two. Um, talked about power sliding a Rolls Royce Cullinan off road or on road. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I really do love both. Uh, bo I've done a lot of uh, like road racing stuff. Um, and some great road trips and then i've also had the chance to drive like baja challenge cars across you know baja mexico and trophy trucks and things like that um they're both just so different um if i had to choose one i would probably say on road just because the speed and the grip and the the mm -hmm. technical aspects of it but off-road is so much fun i mean i've done some done some really fun uh off-road adventures and uh it's it's hard to beat being out in the middle of nowhere and uh in a vehicle and really experiencing that whole, a whole different place than uh, right. you can get to by a car usually. Yeah. I think I've got you on this one too, but I'm going to ask it anyway, new or classic? <sighs> yeah. I mean, overall classic. Uh, I, I, I bought, gosh, I'm trying to think of my first really new car I ever bought. I think it was like uh, 2012 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've had a lot of classic cars. There's just something about them, I, and I've had everything from Peugeots and Renaults to Saab Sonnets and Puma GTEs oh and weird stuff. Yes. So for me, I, I love I love all the weird kind of classic quirky cars, just because 
you know, there, there were so many cars that we've lost. I mean, we've brands that don't exist anymore and things like that. And for me, it's always so fascinating. Even like some of the worst cars ever made, like a Renault Alliance. I owned one of those. It was so fascinating because even the worst cars in the world, there was a whole team of people that designed it and put everything they could into it. And they still produce a terrible car. Right. But there was, it's always kind of fun to see the, the differences and how these things were made. And yeah, I, I really do enjoy uh, all the little quirks of classic cars. I mean, I would say the mo- the problem with so many of the modern cars is that they're hiring the designers from like maybe two schools and mm-hmm. everything just looks so, you know, homogenous now. I mean, it's, you know, a uh, midsize SUV is like everything. And there's so few coupes and right. so few convertibles anymore. It's either a pickup truck or an SUV and there's not a whole lot of unique ways to draw those shapes. Right. So, I mean, when you, when you see an, an Aston Martin with a friend, the new DBX, and they go, Oh, I thought that was a Ford Escape. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's a hard pill to swallow. It's great if you're a Ford. It's terrible if you're Camp Aston. So it's really bad if you just spend you know three hundred thousand dollars on your DBX and uh, someone thinks you're driving a nineteen thousand dollar Ford Escape. <laughs> yeah. When uh, Ford redesigned the Fusion, which really kind of stole that design language from mm-hmm. Aston. That was like a huge shakeup. And I just remember, wow, that Fusion looks good. But yeah. that really just ruins Aston Martin, which <laughs> is still a very beautiful vehicle. But uh, they've gone a little more extreme with their designs to compensate for it. And, and it's been interesting to see. Let's see here. Okay. Favorite driving song or genre or playlist? What you got? So I have a couple specific playlists. So I've got one that's just called Car Chase, which is all like car chasing music, uh, a lot of soundtracks and right. stuff from you know movies and stuff like that. Uh, but classic rock is kind of the go to, you yeah. know, um, the Cult and you know that that type of stuff is just always you know Rolling Stones and you know classic classic rocks, just great road trip music or you know aggressive driving music, whatever you want, <laughs> whatever you're up to. Yeah, for me, it's a uh, mood of the day more than anything. Sure. Let's see. Oh, man, I've got two left, and I've got so many to choose from. All right. Uh, Talking about soundtracks to great car movies. Uh, Favorite car movie? Oh, let's see. I mean, the only one that I've I've watched multiple times, I like Grand Prix a lot. Um, but I also uh, really love Le Mans. Um, that's a classic. I mean, but I mean, Ford versus Ferrari also was such a good one. That right. you know, for a more recent film. Um, but I mean, Grand Prix. I'm, I'm gonna go with Grand Prix. Is, is probably my favorite. It's just such a classic, iconic car movie. And uh, yeah, it's uh, Le Mans is great too. But the writing's better in, in right. Grand Prix. <laughs> All right, last one for the eight random misfire. Most exciting vehicle on the market today, from your perspective? Ooh, let's see. Most exciting. Seems like everything's electrified now. So. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that to me doesn't excite me. You're so, right. um, I don't know. I would say, um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing that's super new. I, I, I actually, I, I was gonna have to pick one that you could actually go out and buy right now. It's fairly new. Um, I would say the new. Uh, Shelby GT500 uh, track pack. Yeah. Um, that thing, I took it, I went to the, the, the track with it at Texas Motor Speedway and, and, and did some laps in it. And 
I mean, for out-of-the-box performance, dollar-to-horsepower ratio, I mean, it's a supercar killer for, right. you know, you know $100,000, which is a lot of money. It's so $100,000, right. $125,000, but, but it's punching at the $200,000 price point when you look at what everything else is going for. I mean, you look at an Aston Martin or, you know, even the big AMG Mercedes, and, and you're, you're in the high six figures. So, yeah. But that I'd AMG say that Mercedes GT, oh, gosh, that thing is so good. Oh, phenomenal <laughs> car, yeah. Yeah, as long as it's a, it's one of those cars that I'd really like to to lease for a little while mm. or rent for a while or borrow, but mm. you don't you don't want to have to fix it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything about that car, from the looks, the sound, the performance, uh, I had one for an afternoon, and it was a pain to have to give it back because, my goodness, <laughs> like. That uh, V8 by turbo that they put in their performance vehicles until, you know, they swear off V8s altogether is perhaps one of the best sounding V8s I think I've ever oh, yeah. driven. So, yeah, that that car is something else. And the look of it, uh, they they hit a grand slam with that one in my book. And I'm not even really a Mercedes guy. I just have really good access to them. So... <laughs> All right, good, sir. Well, uh, we will hang around a little bit after I hang up with you, but uh, for our Patreon follow-up questions, but for our listening audience, how can they interact with you? How can they catch up with you or get a copy of your quarterly print magazine? So the best way to find me is at thegentlemanracer.com. Same handle on Instagram, uh, at thegentlemanracer. Um, magazine is available uh, in limited release for the first first ones coming out. We'll have a new store that we're actually building out where you can buy the magazine and other other merch and stuff. Uh, hopefully in the next month or so, we're just trying to get all that wrapped up. But yeah, uh, gentlemanracer.com is the best way to get a hold of me for any any type of contact or content and anything we're doing is on there. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast chatting with you. Uh, I'm sure we'll keep up through social media and have you back on sometime soon. Absolutely, anytime. Yeah, we got to get a uh, a final wrap up on how SEMA went for you this year. Well, I, I I'm jealous. I want to be more a part of what he's doing. He is involved in so many different things. Uh, he mentioned the Wagoneer project he is working on. I remember uh, the first image he shared of this vehicle, thinking, "My goodness, that's going to be an epic project." And then getting to hear kind of what he does with builds and just his vision gets me even more excited to see the end result. Uh, Again, following along with the project uh, of his building there in Grosbeck, that has also been kind of an inspiration uh, and changed my perspective on what I would want for the future of GT Garage Talk. There's there's so much. Uh, It's been fun being virtual friends with him and uh, linked in with him, whatever you want to call the, uh, the lingo nowadays, but just generally connected and seeing the progress of all of his different projects. It's been a blast uh, just getting to know him as well. And so he is involved in a great many things. And if you want to stay in touch with him and follow along with his projects firsthand, uh, thegentlemanracer.com is the best place to do it. We thank you for listening each and every week. We thank you 
for coming back and supporting us with your ears each and every week. As always, you know where to find us. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all at GT Garage Talk, and everything can be found at GTGarageTalk.com. Until next time, bye.